Have you ever heard that sound before? Whether it's from your favorite cartoon or your favorite war movie, we all know what sound comes next. But did you know that this familiar sound of a falling bomb is actually completely wrong? It wouldn't be how you would hear it. See, when bombs are dropped from an airplane, the whistling sound is caused by something called the Doppler effect. Now, which simply means that bombs have the same whistling tone all the way to the ground. The tone only sounds like it's changing because it falls further and further away from the listener, whoever's dropped the bomb. Actually, in World War II, during the Blitz of London, the Nazi army actually added more whistles to their bombs to increase the sound of terror in an attempt to demoralize the Londoners that they were bombing. Now, whether we hear it whistling down on top of us or not, there is a peace-shattering, soul-crushing, demoralizing bombing that's devastating our, and so many people that we love, their happiness. Noise about the economy or about elections coming from our news channels or our social media feeds warn us that the sky is falling when in fact true destruction might actually come from something a little closer. A ticking time bomb counting down from inside of our pockets or inside of our purses. If you're like me and you have your money stuck to your wallet or stuck to your phone, gosh, every temptation we have right there in our pocket, right? Hey, let's not fly by that. How heartbreaking would it be to build an airtight defense around the enemy swarming around us in the world only to self-destruct by not honoring God with the things that he's given us charge over, the things that he's given us dimension over. Let's pray and invite God into not just our time, but into our hearts and into our decisions. God, we love you so much. And we pray that we would never be the same again. I just, I feel so strongly how prideful, how arrogant would it be to come into your presence and to hear your word and not leave different and not leave transformed. God, we are humbling ourselves right now. God, if today you want to transform us, if today you want us to repent, whatever might come today, I pray that whatever you say that we would obey. We cannot wait to see what you're going to continue to do. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Is anybody excited to be in church this week? I hope you guys are excited. Hope you're excited. Welcome to all of our campuses. We are thrilled. God behind bars. If you're watching online later or live, gosh, this is so exciting about everything that's coming. And we know there's so much freedom incoming over the next couple weeks. And I hope that you are as, as excited as I am. I want to testify to you this morning that God is moving, and I want to invite you to be a part of it. We got this text from a promiser a few weeks ago after a service, and I just hope that it builds your faith. One of my favorite passages is, is Romans, or not Romans, Revelation 12, 11, that says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so I think testimonies are huge, and we got this one the other day. Uh, and this is a wife that said, I wanted to share how God moved in our family last week in service. Last week was the worst week of our 24 years of marriage and the closest that we've ever come to ending it. She said, I was done, bitter and unforgiving, just over it all. I had the stiff neck until God reminded me who I am and whose I am. 
She said many things were reconciled in that service. Broken hearts were mended. She said our kiddos, they have three kids. They even saw and felt it too. Our son said that he saw chains that I've been carrying all week fall off, that I've been dragging around. And she said that she felt it too. She said God is moving in powerful ways. And the reason I share that with you is I believe that God, I know that God wants to move in powerful ways in your personal life and in the life of your family. So I want to encourage you, do not miss the move of God that is happening right now. So here's a question as we begin to diffuse the situation that we all find ourselves in. And here's the question. Why is enough never enough? Have you ever told yourself, when I get X, it'll finally be enough? Because, because X, what we decided, because that marks the spot, we set our sights on X and then right? Bombs away. Everything in our life, right? You, we drop money on it. We drop time on it. We drop hopes and hard works all over X. But when the smoke clears, more often than not, we find that enough X has moved and once again stays one step ahead of us and ahead of our desires. Well, what about you? Do you find yourself having a hard time keeping enough in your sights? Are you bothered that you don't have an, as much as you could have or as much as you should have. That's why for the next month together, we hope to help dodge the incoming bombs of the enemy, of comparison, of wastefulness, of indifference, and inspire each, each other to take refuge, to take ground, and to light the fuse of generosity in all of our lives. Because regardless of your past mistakes, your current circumstances, or maybe your future plans, we believe that avoiding financial fallout and walking in freedom is less about dollars and it's more about spiritual sense. But hey, let's find out where we are right now. Let's gauge where our world is when it comes to having enough. According to an annual modern wealth survey, the average person survey believes that an average net worth of $774,000 is what it would take to be financially comfortable, to not have to worry, to not be concerned about all that stuff. Now, let me ask, is there anything wrong with wanting a net worth of $774,000? I don't think so. Is it wrong to have a net worth of $774,000? I don't think so. But the question for this weekend, for all of us individually, is how much is enough? Well, if you're wondering <coughs> if any author in the Bible has, has revealed a secret to net worth that God approves of, or if there's a teaching by Jesus that gives us a biblical balance sheet to make our budget from, I'm so sorry. However, since Scripture does not answer the question of enough, is it possible that we might be asking the wrong question? Is it possible? See, Jesus challenges us on the questions that we are asking, and he challenges us on what we are worrying about. Now, before we get to it, this will be in Matthew 6. Before we get to it, I want to tell you, anytime I feel worry in my life, which sometimes can be often, anytime I feel anxiety, just putting the, 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 my life into a tailspin, I go to Matthew 6 to recalibrate and to get Jesus' course corrections on what he has for me. Now listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore I tell you, this is big, do not worry about your life, 
whether you, uh, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear, right? That, that was some of the first fights that we've had this morning so far about, right, what we're going to wear and how we look in it, all right? Is life, this is, listen, is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Is it? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Listen to this question from Jesus. Are you not much more valuable than them? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Look at Jesus dropping some truth bombs on us, right? Hey, worry never fixes tomorrow, but it always ruins today. The crater-sized wounds that many of us are carrying and experiencing are caused by the comparison of earthly things, clothes, food, freedoms that we see other people have. Let me ask you, do you really believe that your life, that your body is worth and for more than clothes and food? Because God's perspective is that it is. I love Jesus' question. Are you not more valuable than they? I think for a lot of us, the question we need to ask is not a net worth question, but it's a net value question. We need to ask, what is my net value? And who gets to set that? Are you getting your value from stuff or from God? Because I can tell you, you are not made for stuff. You are an eternal being made. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High. And since you are at your core, at your creation, a supernatural being, natural stuff will never satisfy you. If we were honest and we reflected, a lot of us have gotten the thing we grasped for, we grasped for, we finally got it, and then, dang, that wasn't what I hoped it'd be. Actually, and again, comparison is what gets us there. And I just want to encourage you, leave you on a cliffhanger. We have a special word for you on comparison that we'll put out on social media this week. So don't miss that because comparison is a killer of callings. And comparison camouflages God's plan for your life. So we're going to give you that in the week because we want to equip you to win your world. But Jesus goes on in Matthew 6, and in Matthew 6, in nine verses, Jesus says, don't worry, five times. Get the gravity. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Five times in nine verses, he pleads with us not to worry because God promises to take care of us. But the question is, do we believe that? Do we live? Do we think? Do we spend like we believe he will take care of us? Can I ask you another, maybe even more challenging question? Do you look like the world when it comes to your finances? And when I say world, I mean unbelievers. Because Jesus asks a very pointed question or makes a point in Matthew 6, 32. He says, for the pagans, that's people who don't know Jesus yet, they run after all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. We have to look different. Remember, our vision as a family, as a church, is to win our world by equipping Christ followers to win their world, starting with 1% of Tennessee. But how can we win the world if we look just like the world? How can we win the world if we're anxious and stressed and, and worried just like the world? How can we win the world if we have no hope like the world has no hope?
Listen, we are to look different in our faith and in our finances. Paul, who is a follower of Christ, who did win his world, and who also showed us that 1% of the state of Tennessee is not too big, that we can do that if we will live beyond our means in our faith, not our finances. He writes a letter to a church in Ephesus to a young pastor, and he writes them and warns them about where their heart and where their focus needs to be. He says this in verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of this world, right? You You came naked, right? Hopefully. Either way, listen, I've been in plenty of hospital rooms. And you know how many people on the deathbed have asked me about their stock options? Do you know how many people have asked me about their savings? Hey, will you please make sure you witness to my granddaughter? Hey, how do I know for sure that I have a relationship with Jesus? These are the questions that people ask. But listen, it says if we have food and clothing, we will be content with this. It goes on, this, again, this is in 1 Timothy. It says those who want to be rich. It, again, it doesn't say those who are rich, but listen to what it's actually saying. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. Plunge them into it. Listen, money is not the issue. The want for money consuming us is the issue. Therefore, it's not about the amount of money you have or don't have. It's about what are you willing to do to give away of yourself to get it. I'm going to read you some stats. And there's going to be a part of you, the dark part of you that we all have, that you're going to want to laugh. But will you go a different route and let the gravity of this hit you? There's a survey in a book. The book's called uh, The Day America Told the Truth. And the survey asked, what would you do, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? 25% would abandon their entire family. 23% would become a prostitute for a week or more. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 10% would withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. 7% would murder, kill a stranger, and 3% would put their children up for adoption. This is what people would do for dirty green paper. Oh, pastor, that's terrible. I would never do anything like that. Hey, maybe not. But parents, do you drop more time, hard work, and hope into your job than into your wife or your, your spouse or your kids? Pastors are pastors. You say, "Well, I, I, have to, I have to pay bills. I have to do that. sure." But does your family need all the things more than they need you? Right? Do, 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 are, you, are we dropping more, more time, more talk, more discipleship, more hangout time? Are we dropping those things off for a three-year newer car, for five hundred more square feet, for two more days at the beach? Are we trading those things away? Singles, students. Or is that new phone or the new clothes or the first car or or the first home or anything that you want so bad to drop everything you have, everything you can scrape together? Is it worth it? Is it worth it after the screen cracks, the seam tears, the engine dies, the water heater starts to break? Is it still worth it then? If we keep on reading in 1 Timothy, which I want to remind you, 1 Timothy is a young pastor, a young leader. 
And he tells, he tells Timothy, do not let them look down on you because you're young. Hey, students, hey, young adults, this is the time to not let generational curses form till you have money, not let money have you. But he's writing to this young leader and it says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all kinds of evil, the love of money. It says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Listen, it's this want, again, money is not sinful. I pray that you're blessed. I pray that you don't have to live in debt or paycheck to paycheck. And we're gonna walk beside you in that. I pray that you pay your debt off. I pray that you pay the debt of the church off. I pray that you <coughs> help launch 100 campuses so there's not one city in all of Tennessee that doesn't have a life-giving church that helps people walk in freedom. And all that takes money, but we cannot let money take the throne of our hearts. So I love this question that my dad has asked me. And I know he's asked you, do you have your money or does your money have you? Hey, this is not about guilt. This is not about debt. This is about avoiding the incoming bombs of pain and grief and the wounds that can last a lifetime if we put the love of money before everything else in our lives. So where about you right now in your heart does your spiritual, or sorry, do your financial decisions make spiritual sense or are you heading for spiritual fallout? Earlier, I referenced the Nazis that uh, they added whistles to their bombs to demoralize and terrify the Londoners that they were bombing them. And, and you know, a, a lot of people stood up to the Nazis and, and to Hitler, but one of my favorite leaders that stood up to him was Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill has this quote that I love so much. It just gets me so hyped just hearing it. And he says this, and imagine this coming over the radio, right, whenever you're hearing those whistles. He says, we shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight uh, on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields. We shall fight in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. I love it. It just gets me so excited. But what about us? Are we willing to fight? Are we willing to fight for our spiritual lives to be in the black? Are we willing to fight to build the kingdom of heaven and not our empire? Are we willing to fight? Because it will be a fight to budget and build our life to build eternity. Something that will last forever. What I want to do with our time remaining is I want to give you two very practical ways to fight for freedom, and not just in your life, but hey, we talk about generational wealth, and that would be great, but what about generational freedom? What about generational freedoms of, 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 of marriages that come after yours that the D word, divorce, isn't even a thought, which divorce, the number one cause of divorce, finances. What if we passed on, a generational wealth is great, but what if we passed on generational freedom? I wanna give you two ways to send the enemy's incoming attacks packing. The first way is fight by guarding your income. Fight by guarding your income. And you may think, okay, income, finances. No, I'm talking about something more important than money. I actually don't mean money. What are the things that you are allowing to income to come into your life? 
What external voices do you let shape your worldview and your decisions? This is more foundational than money. So the other day, uh, on Friday, it, that's, that's my Sabbath, and uh, like the day that we, we don't have to work, and our day got messed up. You know those days where you end up in waiting rooms all day, and you're just waiting on stuff, and, and uh, I've taken social media off my phone, but I didn't have any books with me or anything, so I'm just watching like YouTube shorts and stuff like that, and, and so I, I've got Joe Rogan on there, and Jordan Peterson, and all these people just kind of talking and talking, and I realize at the end of the day that I'm just in a bad mood. And I don't know about you, but if I'm in a bad mood, I, I just ask, why am I in a bad mood? So I'll ask Rachel, my wife, say, hey, what happened today? Why am I in a bad mood? And the day didn't go how I wanted it to go, but nothing bad happened. And I took an inventory. What was different today? Well, I listened to people argue for three hours on YouTube. Three hours. And not only that, the people I listened to, again, I... I like him. This isn't like a, a value thing, but Joe Rogan thinks that believing in Jesus is stupid. Believes that, that like, hey, that if you believe in Jesus, that's a that's a crux for the, a crutch for the weak. And I realized that I let people speak into my life for three hours in one day. Some people don't get that much church in three months. Three hours in one day, I was speaking to me, and I was wondering why I had, I had a bad attitude. What if you took some inventory of your life? Because you know what? You know what you can't do. You know what you can't do. You can't listen to people argue and fight and say that those people are terrible and those people are going to hell and those people are mean and have a great attitude. You just can't do it. In Matthew six, remember I told you it was my recalibration. Jesus says that your eyes are the lamp of the body, and you may feel dark in here. Well, there's no way to feel light in here, only letting darkness in the lamp. You have to guard your income. Will you know less things? Yes. I can't tell you how many times people have a conversation. I'm just waiting. Hey, what are we talking about? I want to be involved. I desperately do. I care. What are we talking about? You have to choose what you will be ignorant of. And I don't know about you. I'm fine to be ignorant of the most recent division. And I'm fine to be ignorant about some of these things, right? But we have to guard our income. What are you letting in? Is it building spiritual sense in your life or is it blowing you up from the inside out? Students, this is huge. Listen, a step you can take in, in, in making this a reality where you are stepping out and you're building yourself up and you're making an impact is joining the winning team at Faith Promise. I'm telling you, you're going to surround yourself with people who are sold out to winning the world to Jesus. Not only that, but you'll have a specific role to throw yourself into, to lead, so that you know that you are moving God's mission forward at least in that one aspect every week. It's a game changer. For you to join the winning team, you just have to go to next steps. I'm telling you, it's massive. This, this week right here is step one. Your Purpose is our passion. Join us for next steps. Join this team. You, you are called to win the world, but there's no way for you to do that out on your own. Let's do it together. Let me give you another way to, to fight. And I love this. I'm so excited about this one. Fight by living beyond your means in faith, not finances. 
Fight by living beyond your means in faith and not finance. What pushes us to live beyond our means? Most of the time, it's a deep desire for something, right? We want something so bad, we'll do anything for it. Well, have you ever found yourself living beyond your means spiritually, in generosity, in love, in evangelism? You're going to throw yourself out there. I don't have these answers yet. I'm not sure what to do, but I'm going to throw myself out there because I want to live, live beyond my means. Hey, if you're curious, that's where you see miracles. Out beyond yourself where you have all the answers. Throwing yourself out there beyond your means. Let me, I want to tell you about something that we want to do to equip you so that you can live beyond your means in faith and not finances. The church, we have bought something for you called Ramsey Solution and Ramsey Solutions. And I want to tell you about everything that you get with this. Um, you're going to get to Financial Peace University um, and, and, and a lot of other courses. You're going to get the premium version of the Every Dollar Budgeting app. You're going to get unlimited live Q&A financial coaching sessions. You will get free federal income tax stuff and so much more. So we bought this. Whenever you start it, you will have a year free from that point. We'll start groups around it in, all, in the fall. But listen, why are we doing this? Why do we make this investment? Why are we pouring this into you? And not just you. Whenever we feed teachers around all of our campuses, we'll give it to them. You can share it with your family. You can share it with your friends. Why are we doing this? Because it, it was a significant financial investment by the church. Why do we do that? So that you are not burdened by your finances and you can live beyond your means in faith. Think for a moment, get beyond, get, just for a second right now, get beyond your financial stresses and think about you, your family, your kids looking at Jesus on judgment day and saying, the bills got me. I was just distracted by that boat or that car or what I wanted. I, I've been there. But if we can live with the end in mind, I think that we would recalibrate on what matters most. Can I give you one more whistling warning from Jesus? And this is in Mark 10. You can read the whole passage this week if you want to. But in Mark 10, this young man comes running up to Jesus. He comes running up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what do I need to do to have eternal life? What do I need to do to have a relationship with you forever? What, what, what should I do? And Jesus says, hey, listen, don't commit adultery. Don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud, don't dishonor your mother and father. This guy's pumped. He's jacked. He's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, I've done all these things for my youth. I'm ready. Let's go. And Jesus says, looking at him, Jesus showed love to him and said, one thing you lack, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words. And he went away grieving, for he, had, he was one who owned much property. Now, this is going to be hard for some of your theology, but wrestle with it. Jesus loved him, and Jesus wanted him, but that wasn't enough. He had to want Jesus more than his stuff. Let me ask you, whether you're a believer or not, do you want Jesus most? And not just here, and not just here for this moment, but where you think 
outside? Will you live outside? Will you spend outside?